Welcome to our podcast. We're a mother-daughter duo with a twist. I'm Taya, and I was adopted. And I'm Roz, her birth mom. I went on a search at the age of 36, and I found her. Listen in as we come together to unpack the layers of our journey. think I found her. Ladies and gentlemen, and my darling Taya, Mm -hmm. here's what I received in the mail. I can't believe this is happening, that I took a leap of faith and decided to finally search for you. Oh, I have wanted so many times, but would stop because of fear. And although I am still scared of the outcome, I must continue and ask if you are willing to open the door and allow me to step into your life. Mm. My name is Taya, or rather, my birth name is Dina. Mm. I am your daughter. I just turned 36 years old and made the decision to search for you and this time complete it. I hope that you have thought about me and have wondered about me and are willing to share some information with me. I have questions, but let me say I am not angry with you. That feeling is long past and I am at peace with that. Can you, will you allow me to know you? If you are willing, I look forward to hearing from you. And she concludes, I want to say so much more, but I am reluctant to because I first must know that you want to know me. Thank you for giving me life and sharing me with another family. That was a brave decision and I am so thankful. Right now, I desire to fill the void within that I have dealt with for so many years and replace it with answers and hope, sincerely. I immediately told my parents, the secret is over. I discovered I was pregnant. I was sent away. Birth year for me was 1970. Separation, trauma. I believe there was was a trauma for you to be told to not look at me. Yes. Like the first trauma for a child, a baby, when separated from their birth mom is the fact that they had the sound and the heartbeat of their birth mom, and now that's not there. It's missing. It tied me in as though that umbilical cord was still there. Because when I gave you for adoption, after I gave birth to you, it helped me understand that 
there are connections still there. You knew my voice. You knew my heartbeat. And then when you're placed for adoption, you're looking for that and it's missing. So there is a fantasizing of, well, where am I? Who are these strangers? Where's my mom? And that makes me sad. Fear can paralyze a person, right? I think that being told that was rooted in fear that should you put your eyes upon your child, on your baby, upon me, that you would freeze mm -hmm. and say something contradictory instead of it being an opportunity for you to bless me maybe in that moment, to say your hello and your goodbye and to have some closure. Do not intrude and look for your baby. Do not disrupt the family lifestyle that the adoptive parents want to do to raise your baby. You cannot reach out for her. I signed papers with a closed adoption that I promised not to look for you, that I was actually forbidden to look for you because of being the intruder. So for you to say that you felt like you would be intruding on me, oh no, no, my baby. I was told I would be your intruder. I so wish that I was not told not to try to find you, not to reach out, not to connect, not to do anything. That was traumatic when I really think about it. If only I could have written a letter mm -hmm. and placed it in your adoption file and said something like, Dear Dina, <laughs> that's the name I gave you when you were born. Do I need to search for you? I felt it within me, but I didn't have the information. My records are sealed. I just found myself having that many more questions. I needed and wanted to know my origin story. I really wanted to understand why I was placed outside of my birth family and into another. And I really, <laughs> I really wanted to see my eyes reflected back to me. And I do believe that every child has the right to know their beginning story, if you will, even if it is covered in shame and regret and trauma. I just believe that we all have a right to know our origin story, as they call it. Why was it so important that you and I connect? Well, I lived it, I dreamed it every day since I gave birth to you and chose to give you for adoption. I always wondered, where is she? Is she looking for me? Because as we'll talk in a future episode about open and closed adoption, I chose closed adoption.
That seemed to be the only option that was given to me. So why? It was an eternal dream that I had that one day my doorbell would ring and you would say, I found you, I'm your daughter. And we would proceed from there. There were times where we would be out and about and I would wonder, hmm, I wonder if that could be my birth mom. You know, I wonder if, if that's her or if that's her. You know, those kind of feelings would come up where I would wonder if this person could have been you. For the adopted child, there is not a reflection of oneself in the adoptive family. There's not any genetic markers for her to mirror DNA. It, it, it prompted me, and I had this, ended up having this very vivid memory um, of when I, when I actually joined the military, when I joined the army, and they asked me if I knew my blood type. And I was like, blood type, what do you mean? So that was actually the first time that I found out what my blood type was. And it was the first time that I really honed in on the fact that I really don't know my medical history because at that time, all I did was attach it to my adoptive parents. There was not a distinction that was made at that time about family history because I just kind of connected it to who my family was. But in this time of joining the military, I started to, you know, acknowledge and say even more out loud that I was adopted. And with that meant I really truly didn't know my actual family medical history. And that actually prompted me to consider searching for you even more so that I could learn more about these genetic predispositions. If there was anything in my family line that I needed to be aware of. Just, I guess, like coming home. The feeling of coming home is what I wanted for you. I wanted you to feel by coming to my house, it would feel like coming home to close the gaps that had existed for so many years, for you to find yourself not being on the outside, but being, being right in the middle. This is good. This is good. You know, and yes. and so that that time with you was just filled with so much of connecting and learning and revisiting past and connecting to the future. And there was just so many positive moments. And I do remember there being some individual moments one on one, you know, yes. with my sister, with my brother with my uncles and aunts i remember there just being those times of having one-on-one -on -one even with my grandmother and grandfather for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans to prosper you 
and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God answered my prayers. Mm -hmm. He answered yours. And any of our listeners who experience something similar, he has or will answer your prayers. So I am sorry, Taya, for all that you went through. And I'll say it for the rest of my life. But I am happy that God put this part of our continuation in his plan for us. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, 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 I sit in this space with you and I, I just feel like this is such a blessing it because is. how, how many times I've had whatever emotions I've had, and how many times you've had whatever emotions you've had. And a person oftentimes, you know, is expressing these emotions, but they're not able to express it to the person, right? And I think, you know, like when I said earlier, I'm so thankful that I get to do this with you because there's such impact in us being able to express these emotions to one another. You know, mental health is a, a very important topic. Um, it's something that all of us need to be able to do. We need to be able to check in with ourselves and note whether or not, if we're doing well or not so well, and to seek help. I think early on, I thought that I would be reconciling my adoption after I found you. But instead, what I've noticed is that I've experienced even a variety of other emotions post our reunion. And now I can actually see that, yeah, adoption is indeed a lifelong process. Yeah, I, I was feeling some fear in certain parts. I was feeling guilt at certain parts and sorrow. And, and the, all of this was happening in the midst of, you know, joy as well. This note, I said, authentic self, not feeling divided between three families, feeling as if I must act accordingly based on who I am with rather than just being me, having my own choice not adjusting, trying to please everyone, which is very exhausting. I no longer want to act from my inner child, but rather an adult who is very capable of making her own decisions without regret. Wow. That's a lot that I said yeah. there. Even though it was a short, succinct paragraph, I think I captured you know, what we've been talking about, this, this division that I felt between three families. Were there any regrets or a situation that you regretted during that year of trying to balance three families? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there was actually um, a situation that, you know, I've kind of not talked a lot about, but it's it's it it does play a big part. Is 
in the managing of all of the different emotions and who am I going to visit? And at this point, there wasn't, there was a conflict that occurred between me and my adoptive mother. And that conflict led to me feeling a lot of guilt and feeling a level of discomfort about connecting or being in relationship. Um, and so I would say because of probably the intensity of me traveling, you know, and seeing everyone and trying to fit everyone in, and you use such a great word of being split, right? That it, I think, yeah, it took its toll. And it led to, you know, an uncomfortable conversation <laughs> with my mom, you know, that we had to talk through and, and kind of figure out, you know, all those different emotions with each other. And, and also, again, I think when I made the comment about not wanting to act from my inner child, I think, yeah, I think there's a natural part of you that tends to regress when you are in this type of dynamic and I needed to still be able to find my voice as an adult that allowed me to say, I can get to choose to make these type of decisions as an adult. When you think about mental health, you, you can, you can have the experience of several emotions that can kind of be um, counter to one another and you can feel those two or three emotions at the same time. And, and I think it's just sometimes what, what comes up naturally when you are in relationship with people, you're going to have, you know, all the different emotions. And I was led to believe I could move on, not knowing that the trauma would be lifelong for both of us. My feelings about being a birth mother, as I said before, I feel more comfortable in my skin. I was always just, it was like a gray area. And I never really either gave it enough time or used mental health or what do you call uh, therapy mm -hmm. to get through that. Mm -hmm. So it was just there but it was stuck in a place that I didn't know how to release. So this podcast is like therapy for me. So I think that, oh, shame and guilt, fear, loss, we carry all of that. And through perhaps this podcast, we're kind of relinquishing some of those thoughts little by little. you know, this huge pot of gumbo. We need to talk a little bit more about ancestry, culture, and such. Um, what do you think? What do you think? Do you think that's a, a good topic for us today? Yes, it sounds yummy because I love food. <laughs> <laughs> Louisiana, I'm proud to say that I was born and raised there for part of my childhood before we moved to California. We look at the identification of culture versus nationality. 
in Louisiana. It's predominantly Catholic. And everyone who's fair complexion like us used the word Creole. And Creole is a mixture. It's like a pot of gumbo of all the ingredients of various nationalities that came together way, way back to our ancestry, starting from when they came from Europe, mingled with the Native Americans and West Africans in Louisiana, and created this culture that we call Creole. And no wonder um, when I was fully, fully introduced to all the different foods, right? Mm -hmm. that it was like my taste buds were, were like, oh my God, I've been missing out. Understanding my biology even more now has me able to envision, you know, my future self even more. Um, seeing the, the different family members you know, I, I, I'm able to see how my face will age. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm also able to see, you know, my talents. Um, and, and again, just the power of the DNA, the power of um, genetics. There's, there's a mixture of both in me, right? Because yes. there's parts of, of my adoptive family that in no way will I deny, you know, they make me who I am. But now having more of a connection to, to my DNA, my genetics of, of the nature of my, of my family, that as well makes me who I am. Mother's Day for us is slightly different because both of our moms have passed is she loved to dance. And this <laughs> is around the time when you had the, the record players. And so we had the record player and the eight track player, right? And she had all these different records and she would put the records on and usually it's like a Friday evening and she would put all these 45s in and the music would be playing in the house and me and her would dance. We would just oh. dance, 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 dance. And that was just some yeah. of the most fun times that I had. What I remember the most about my mom was having a big table with everyone there, kids, grandkids, because family was first, family gatherings, relatives, family reunions, and food. We're like mm. a garden being nurtured and fertilized and watered all the time. and still the seeds of glory i could call it is what still exists in us and what we will move forward to with our lives as we continue to move forward but it all started with mothers who's my father who's my birth father how are you today ross i'm great taya how about you I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. That's good. Good. We have an interesting session today. Oh, yeah. And I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. What, yeah. what do you think we're going to talk about today? 
<laughs> We're going to talk about fathers. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So when we think back to that time frame, much of what was going on back then is that birth fathers at times are not even aware that they have a child on the way or in the world. Um, during the time of my birth um, and of decades prior, out of wedlock pr pregnancy carried such an intense stigma that unwed mothers were usually silently ferried away until delivery and the adoption was complete. So fathers were rarely part of the decision-making. In fact, back then, most adoptions, as we've touched on, were closed. And that also means the identity records are sealed. So prior to 1972, adoption didn't even require the consent of an unmarried father. But interestingly, today, birth fathers' rights have changed, and they vary from state to state. But what I saw in the research was that at least 24 states now have what is called a putative father registry, which basically allows unmarried fathers to establish their potential paternity and attempt to maintain legal rights. And in addition to that, there is now at least 60 to 70% of adoptions are now considered open. Um, and 95% include at least some minimal type of contact between birth and adoptive families. This shift in adoption culture came after research showing that adoptees in open adoptions actually fare better personally and socially. No one talks about the birth father's grief. It is assumed that he hit the trail and hasn't had a thought about his child or the mother of his child since. Yet it has come to my attention that many birth fathers have been in pain about the loss of their children as well. Some of them didn't support the mother in her wish to keep the baby, and some of them wanting to keep the baby felt helpless in the decision to relinquish. Often the father wasn't consulted. Sometimes his parents, like the birth mother's parents, were adamant about their giving up the baby for adoption. Whatever the scenario, very few of the relationships between birth fathers and birth mothers survived. And the adversarial aspect of the relationship that resulted from the surrendering of the baby often persists into adulthood. 20 years later, many birth mothers are still very angry at the birth fathers for their lack of support at the time of the birth of their child. What has transpired for him lo these many years is the question asked. Many fathers did what many mothers have done, become numb. They pushed all thoughts of their children out of their minds and got on with life. Others have never stopped thinking about the babies they never got to see. They have lived with a veiled wish that someday they would meet their children and begin a relationship. Many have been left with a guilt they find difficult to verbalize. What I want to emphasize here is that we should not assume that birth fathers don't have feelings 
and a sense of sorrow about what happened to them, to the mother and to the baby. Some of them realized that they forced the girls to have sex against their will and know this was wrong. Some of them genuinely loved their girlfriends and wanted to marry someday. As they matured, the enormity of the act of relinquishment, the loss of their children, became more clear. Although some of them can forgive the youths they were who could allow that to happen, there is a certain sense of responsibility as men that they still feel or that they now feel and about which they may always have a sense of guilt. But what about the sorrow is the question. Sometimes birth fathers don't realize the enormity of the sorrow until the child comes back into their lives. It may be easier for the fathers to get on with life than the mothers, but the bursting into their lives of the child who is now an adult can bring up a host of feelings, not the least of which is sorrow. Although aware that those lost years can never be retrieved, the loss of the experience of watching his child grow up can plunge a birth father as well as a birth mother into an abyss of sorrow. The father, too, needs to allow himself to grieve and to have a ritual for healing some of that grief. It's kind of the, the culmination of a journey when, when you think about, like, the markers that we have in life, such as graduation and getting married those those were things that we missed you know i was not with you to participate in your wedding you know i was not with you to participate um, in your degree you know graduation and vice versa you were not with me on those particular markers and so i think you know to have you present for my master's degree was almost like all of those years prior coming together right. in that moment and and for right. you to be present was such a significant and amazing experience but in those winding paths there were similarities you know although not together we are now able to say well i did a similar thing and and i did a similar thing and i did a similar thing and then at this point you know, like you said, it's a culmination of a journey. And now the journey has our paths, although they were divergent, they've now come together. And now we're able yes. to have a pace in how we do life where we're much more aligned with one another, connected to one another. And and so all of those memories and and, and such of various events, you know, they help they hold their place um in our storyline but it's like now we get to kind of you know create and develop the story moving forward perhaps our life came full circle without us knowing it that that marker of you finding me us traveling getting to know each other catching up or trying to fill some of the gaps of those 36 years, I think attending your graduation was a culmination of everything all coming together that made our life 
more whole and more complete than we ever imagined. Destiny. Some of the things that we are doing were perhaps predestined. And I think God is still keeping his hands over us and our family and our life together. As we are, you know, we call our podcast, we named our podcast, I Found Her. I, I find that we are also finding ourselves that much more, right? We're, we're unpacking the various layers of ourself as yes. women. And so I think there's so much depth in this. And I appreciate you so very much, Ross, for, for doing this journey with me. Those who do not have power over the story that dominates their lives, power to retell it, deconstruct it, joke about it, and change it as time changes, truly are powerless because they cannot think new thoughts. This quote is from Solomon Rushdie. Everyone, we hope that you again enjoyed our show and you can show us that by rating and reviewing us on Spotify, Google, and Amazon podcasts. This is Taya and Roz, where we talk all things adoption and reunion, but with a twist.